Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to another edition of Taekwondo Life Magazine Live. My name is Mark Sorianis. I'm your host. I'm a third Don Black Belt, and I'm the editor-in-chief of Taekwondo Life Magazine. It is no secret that we enjoy at Taekwondo Life Magazine the world of martial arts film and television. In the past, we have covered stars from Into the Badlands, Philip Ree in his film Underdog Kids. We've done movie reviews for Revenger and other such films. Today, we are joined by a renowned martial artist and film and television industry professional, Grandmaster C.M. Griffin. Grandmaster Griffin is a Harangdo martial artist who's had training in jiu-jitsu as well as taekwondo and has been a frequent contributor to taekwondo life magazine he has written the article about for us about conan o'brien's visit to the kukiwan as well as some hard-hitting and interesting information about the distinction between real martial arts practice and what it is you see in the movies Today, Grandmaster Griffin joins us from his base in Ohio, where he will be discussing five influential martial arts films and what makes them influential. Without further ado, I'll turn it over to Grandmaster C.M. Griffin. Okay, so we are talking today to Kwanjanim uh, C.M. Griffin. Uh, Grandmaster Griffin is a longtime practitioner and Grandmaster in the Korean art of I'm going to mispronounce this. Harangdo. Harangdo. Uh, since 1976. So thank you, sir. Thank you so much for talking to us today. Yeah, no problem. No problem. This will be fun. I'm yes, so, the other so, side of this. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And uh, Grandmaster Griffin uh, may be familiar to some of our, our listeners because he has been a, he's a, uh, as well as a martial arts practitioner, um, and uh, he's got a YouTube channel and, and he writes, but he's been a, a, a frequent contributor to Taekwondo Life Magazine's uh, print and digital magazine. He submitted articles on uh, Conan O'Brien's uh, trip to the Kukiwan, on um, some of the martial arts differences uh, that you'll see between film and real life practice, uh, as well as, as some other subjects. So uh, we are going to be talking to him today about uh, an interesting subject, which is uh, one that's near and dear to my heart as uh, somebody who, who is a voracious watcher of uh, martial arts media. He's going to talk today about five influential martial arts films and why. But before we get into that, sir, can you um, introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your uh, martial arts background? Sure. Um, let's see. I'm part of that generation that I'm telling my age but um, they first got interested in martial arts because we started watching this TV show back in 1967. You know, um, there was this uh, little guy in a black uniform that was going around beating the schnookies out of everyone in this interesting way that, you know, just seemed like really cool. Now, Captain Kirk, you know, used a judo chop. <laughs> Fred Flintstone even used a judo chop once in a while. <laughs> But this guy was doing it so differently. So, you know, my friends and I in the Bronx, we all lost our minds watching this guy try to find martial arts schools. And I was lucky enough, I had an uncle that uh, started teaching me uh, jiu-jitsu. 
and then uh, from there I ended up um, training in different things. So I trained in uh, Taekwondo under Tiger Kim, actually on Fulham oh, wow. Road. Sure. And uh, that was like 70, I want to say, somewhere around there, like 70, 71. And then uh, I went to Syracuse University and got involved with Harangdo uh, and loved it, the people, everything about it, the art, the technique. And I've been in Harangdo since 1976. And uh, first, my first teacher was uh, Master Y.S. Kim. And then, uh, of course, Kuksanim, uh, uh, Grandmaster uh, Yama Kina. And, and for those who aren't familiar with you, geographically, where are you located in the United States? Right now, I'm in the boondocks of uh, Cincinnati in northern Kentucky. <laughs> oh, very, very nice. Now, um, for those who have been... Um, you you have a um, an unusual because of your partially because I, I think because of your profession but probably also partially because of of your uh, interest and enjoyment um, you have a particular uh, interest and uh, you do writing and um, posting and and uh, some media related to uh, film and and television so tell us a little bit about how that crosses over uh, between what you do professionally and your 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 love and your practice of the martial arts. Well, uh, I got to be honest. Um, my wife is the one that really did that because um, I went to college. You know, you know, in the '70s, you didn't think about you know martial arts as an industry. That happened after the Karate Kid movie. And right. um, I was going to school for film, and I worked on a number of film and TV projects. You know, The White Shadow, Hill Street Blues. Um, later on Law and Order and shows like that. Um, and then in the meantime, was working with various people doing, uh, was also working uh, for Marvel Comics, did some writing for Marvel, did some writing for DC, and just trying to do more and more, you know, action. What I liked, what I thought would look cool and look good, you know, <laughs> excuse me, action and martial arts stuff. And uh, But working predominantly, like I said, my, my paycheck was coming from working on films and TV. Then in about let's say the mid-90s, or not mid-90s, late, late 80s, early 90s, there was this strike. And so there was no <laughs> there was no work. Basically. Sure. There was no work. And my wife said to me, why don't you just combine your what you do, you know, your martial arts with television and film. And I was like, why didn't I think of that before? Sometimes you need to, you know, <laughs> The woman to smack you upside the head. <laughs> That's to, uh, it. Sometimes we're sometimes we're too close to it, I guess. Also. Yeah, yeah. So I um, started writing about you know going to different publications and writing about martial arts and movies. Started getting involved with more martial art movies, uh, directing and doing a lot of stunts in different uh, martial art movies and low budget movies, and um, just continued on from there. I guess I got to say. Just uh, combining, you know, what I do because I always thought martial arts is, you know, a way of life. It's what I do, you know, it's who I am. Sure. And you know, doing a television show or movies or corporate videos or what have you—that's what I did for money. Just it didn't click until she said it that, hey, you can put the two of those together. <laughs> and, well, uh, that's, that's what we've been doing. 
Well, we've we've all been the beneficiaries of that because I've really enjoyed, as I know others have, uh, looking forward to your um, you know opinions on uh, these various uh, projects and 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 a look sometimes for for those of us um, at some films and some recommendations on on sometimes things I've never even heard of that I end up checking out as a result of things that you've you've promoted. So today we're going to talk about five influential films, martial arts films, and why. And just let us know if you're going to go from uh, if, if you're going to do a, a, a countdown from what you consider to be number one to five, or the other way around. I'm going to go the other way around. One. That's yeah. great. So, so go right ahead, and I'll I'll jump in at any point if I have any questions okay, or anything that I want to know about. Yeah, my 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 dilemma is that there's more than five, and sure. don't just get five just for time's sake. So my number five. It's more, more like a 5A and a 5B, because I was going back and forth between these two films. Um, one that film is, fine. is um, my number five film, for lack of a better way of saying it, is Jackie Chan's Police Story, released in 1985, directed by Jackie Chan. This was the first in his the Police Story series that he did. Um, this movie, I think... Uh, is influential because pretty much changed the way a lot of productions were done and even Hollywood had to look at it and go, hmm, let's start thinking about how we do these action scenes. This is a film where Jackie, you know, incredible stunts. He, uh, if, if, if you've seen it, you know, he has that incredible stunt in the beginning of the movie where he goes through, he has a car chase through a shanty town. And then later on, he uh, 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 stops a bus, and then he hooks on, you know, the back of the bus with an umbrella. You know what I mean? Sure, yeah. sure. And uh, even his fight scenes, you know, it wasn't so much uh, kung fu as it was more Buster Keaton, because he did more. Yeah, he did some kicks, he did some things like that, but he, it was more fun. And sure. After that. If you think about it, a lot of the Hollywood movies started blockbuster movies and even your mini blockbusters, for lack of a better word, with Stallone, Schwarzenegger, and whomever, started doing more of their own, quote-unquote, their own stunts and adding bigger and bigger stunts and, and action pieces to those films. And if you look at it, it resembles in a way the way Police Story was put together. Um and then even in uh, uh, Hong Kong, you know, they started doing incorporating more comedy and more lighter moments into a lot of their uh, action films. Just think about, you know, if you've ever seen one of the, you know, Marvel Avenger movies, right in the middle of a fight scene, somebody's going to make, you know, a wisecrack to do some kind of light moment. Well, it's kind of what happened in uh, Police Story with Jackie Chan. That's a very good point. That's a, that's a very good observation, and I, and I think uh, – your reference to Buster Keaton is is interesting because I it is very very true that uh, a lot of the elements of the the old time uh, Charlie Chaplin Buster Keaton type uh, films are incorporated into which gives you a good sense of maybe what Jackie Chan um, uh, was was immersed in probably in terms of his love of of, of American film as a as a child. Oh yeah yeah I mean if you just watch some of Buster Keaton's silent movies. Um, there's that great scene in, I think it's Jackie Chan's Project A, where um, the clock tower kind of falls around him, and he's in the, he's like in a window space. 
and right. looking around, and it's like, oh, what happened? You know, that that kind of thing. Buster Keaton did, did, did that back in, you know, 1918, 20, whatever it was. Right, right, right. Amazing. So, yeah. okay, so so let's, so let's you said there was an A and a B on this. So what's the oh, other part of the corridor? The B film uh, was uh, Street Fighter, 1974, Sonny Chiba. Oh, sure. That film, I thought, was uh, very, very interesting and, and very influential in a number of ways because, well, first of all, that film was very brutal. When it came out, it was rated X. Oh, wow. And now, it, you know, it's rated R, probably. Um, maybe PG-13, but um, it, it was rated X mostly due to the violence. And this is a movie where, um, and i got to admit, I saw it later on. I didn't see it when it first came out. I saw it when I was a freshman in college, so I was 18, so I was able to go in, you know, sure. and see, uh, you know, an X-rated movie. And we'd heard about it. Um, I'm not saying more. You know, my older sister and my kids may be listening, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, the the this movie. You know, when you think about certain things that that Chiba did, you know, with the fight scenes, this is where you know he'd punch somebody, and all of a sudden there'd be an X-ray shot of the impact of his punch, and you'd see like their jaw falling apart. Wow. Or, you know, he he would rip, no, he didn't rip somebody's arm off, but, you know, uh, uh, he'd punch somebody and their jaw would fall off. Punch somebody, there, uh, there was a scene where, I believe it was in Street Fighter, or maybe even Street Fighter 2, where he'd hit someone in their right eye and their left, and their left eye popped out. Wow. It was very, very, very Vi- brutal. Visually very different from things that yes. have preceded it. Yeah. Very, very different, and it it just it, I think it made an impact in the way that you know people looked at martial art films because um, it wasn't as pristine as you know a Bruce Lee movie or you know a, a Shaw Brothers movie. It was very brutal, very gritty. It was almost like you're watching you know a a a 1940s film noir. Because you know, it just was really, it just was very visceral and would grip you. And there was a bunch of movies that came out afterwards, just like that. So that's why I said this is like this is also very, very influential at the time that it came out. Between, you know, Street Fighter doing its thing and then Police Story doing doing that thing. Wow! So there's a lot, a lot of, a lot of movement in martial arts films even in that time towards um, trying to incorporate. Uh, uh, things that are that are outside ordinary, uh, simple fighting, uh, mm-hmm. and 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 the simple normal revenge stories, right. um, being able right. to incorporate. That's very interesting. So tell us about number to the number four. Sure, me go directly ahead. into number four, which was uh, again Jackie Chan, Snake in the Eagle's Shadow. That was in 1978, directed by, and I'm probably going to mispronounce his name, Yuan Wu Ping. Who was famous for doing the uh, the Matrix movies and uh, a bunch of movies with Jet Li? Um, sure. Um, also, uh, my favorite villain of all time, especially in martial art movies, is in that uh, Master Li Wang Zhang um, or Huang Zhang Li, um, one of the greatest kickers that uh, you know from Tang Soo that you'd ever see in a movie. He was just perfect villain, perfect villain, but. That to me is a film that 
first of all, it introduced Jackie Chan to a number of us. Um, it had the beginnings of what Jackie Chan would become his signature. Um, he's uh, bullied on, you know, he's picked on, he's the underdog, you know, then he finds somebody to train him. He goes through these brutal, brutal, physically demanding training routines, and then he ends up winning at the end. Um, but what really, really, uh, to me, put this movie into a special different category is that, oh, that's, here's a scene from the movie. Um, you know, it's a typical plot. Um, the, the beggar is part of, I think, the, uh, the uh, snake clan or something like that. And um, Huang Zhang Li was part of the Eagle Clan, and he, him and his guys, had just wiped out everybody in the Snake Clan except for, you know, the beggar. And then Jackie was getting bullied, so the beggar took Jackie under his wing and started training him. Well, Huang Zhang Li found the beggar, so he had to run away. So, of course, thinking about martial art movies in that time, he runs. But what does he do? He runs up the wall. <laughs> so, Huang Zhang Li, the bad guy, Jumps up the wall to get him. Well, Jackie, you know, trying to help his teacher, runs and tries to get up the wall. He can't. So he backs up more. He runs and he can't get up the wall. So he backs up even more. And the next time he comes, he's got a ladder and he's climbing up the side of the wall. You know, they added these comedic elements into the movie that, you know, previously you really didn't see. You didn't see, uh, you know, comedy in films. And I think uh, Samuel Hung's Enter the Fat Dragon uh, came out the same year, but I think it was released a couple of months after that. Um, It showed that you can have humor in these movies. It showed that you can do just more than, like we said before, just have this brutal, oh, you you killed my father, now I must kill you. You know, it it was more than that. Right, right. You know, you can actually have fun. Right, they they it shows a newer found uh, I I think respect for um, the audience and mm-hmm. uh, the people that are watching and understanding that they're not necessarily trying to appeal to people uh, who might be interested in action and other f- formats, but not necessarily as familiar with the martial arts as some of the core people who really, um, you know, previously had watched those films. Right, right. I think it opened the films up to everybody else, and again. Jackie had that trope where he was the underdog and, you know, uh, um, and now he, the underdog wins because he wasn't a Superman. Bruce Lee was Superman. Right. Bruce right. Lee didn't lose a fight. Jackie was getting right. the schnookies beat out of him every movie, you know. Well, it, it, it certainly made for a, um, a, a certain, a certain uh, formula that was certainly utilized in, in numbers of films, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, uh, certainly became almost the uh, the the complete template for the later Rocky films. Exactly, uh, <laughs> exactly. It's a whole underdog thing, and and I'm not saying that Rocky, you know, was taken from from you know Jackie Chan, but you know when you look at the timing and you look at what's going on, and then all the other martial arts films that came after that. Yeah, even Donnie Yen's films that he's even still doing today. There's an element of humor in it that uh, without making the evil shadow, I don't think would have been there. Because I don't think they would have believed the audience would have accepted it. Uh, is that making sense? Yes, absolutely. 
Yeah, so, Absolutely. Yeah, so so uh, that's why I said that was a very influential film. It kind of changed the the pace and the structure of you know, of uh, the Hong Kong martial arts film industry, for lack of a better word. That's great. So so tell us tell us about our your, the next item, number three. Number three is a little different. Number three, I said, is the original Karate Kid movie with Ralph Macchio and uh, starring Pat Morita, released in 1984. Um, interesting enough. Interestingly enough, it's early morning. I haven't had my coffee. That's all right. Yet. That I'm is my, that is certainly fine. And my tongue is getting caught in my teeth. But um, John Wilson directed this movie, and he also directed Rocky. And to me, the Karate Kid film is what really spurred what people would call the martial arts industry in this country. Where, if you think about it, if you're of a certain age. Before this movie, if you walked into a dojang or a dojo, predominantly you're going to see adults. Predominantly there's adults. After the Karate Kid movie, what do you see? Children. The predominant group that goes to martial arts schools now is children. It's catered toward children. Flyers, what have you, what you see, it's catered toward children. It wasn't that way before this movie. I think that's a really excellent point and I and I've talked to some of the um some of the uh guests who've been on on here in in the past, you know, some of the ones who've had some historical perspective folks mm-hmm. that are, you know, of, of my age, uh when we were kids, it, it it was a very uh difficult if not impossible to find a uh, a program uh for for children. Um, yes. You yes. need, you know, and I and I and I agree with you. I think in in living through that time period, that is a, a very very big. Um, I've never really thought about it in 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 that way. So I think it's it's, it's important. But you're right that uh, the the entire uh, demographic of the training population changed, and that had a lot. Um, I think, and then as you said earlier, from a business standpoint, uh, folks started to understand, like everything else, that where there's children uh, and parents have a love for their children that there's greater opportunities to sustain certain financial um goals and uh, and opportunities in terms of turning it from in, into much more of a business opportunity than it had right. been previously right right because before that you know if you think about it you know most people did uh of uh, their martial arts schools it was part-time it probably also right. they weren't that many schools you did it in you know community centers church uh, basements and what have you there weren't that many actually standalone buildings in a lot of the communities after the karate kid there's a plethora of them and then you also had this new voting demographic remember people used to talk about soccer moms sure well, in the 90s they were talking about taekwondo moms that's very interesting you know, and uh, uh, I think the, the the Karate Kid movie is the one that that spurred that on, um, as well as just in the in terms of Hollywood, um, they started looking more at younger audiences. They started looking more at the younger kids. I mean, after the Karate Kid movie. You have a few years later, you have this whole Power Rangers explosion. 
where it's nothing but children running around doing these things. And even after the Karate Kid, you had a, a, a right after that you had a couple of movies where you know some kids getting bullied, and it's not an adult like Jackie Chan's movies. Jackie, you couldn't say Jackie was a kid, really. You know, right, um, right, right. This this is like some fifteen, sixteen year old. This is some teenager, you know, sophomore, junior in high school, getting picked on, and of course he finds you know that teacher or maybe he looks at a poster and sees a poster of Chuck Norris and inspires him or whatever. I remember that movie. Wow. Sure, wow. sure. <laughs> you Absolutely. Know, and, you know, Hollywood realized, oh, hey, we can make money with that. Let's put these kids in there and start doing that. Let's, let's do more kid-centric action movies. I think that is, Karate Kid is the one that spurred that on. That is very interesting. Really, really interesting perspective. So tell me how that leads into our uh, and 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 a different certainly a different dynamic from the earlier films for sure that you mm-hmm. that that you, that you mentioned. So tell us where uh, where we are with number two. Number two, of course, is Enter the Dragon. Bruce Lee, nineteen seventy three. Now I know I've taken a lot of flack and I've taken a lot of heat because I said when you look at the, Enter the Dragon, it's not a very good movie. It, in my opinion, it just isn't. The movie is a classic, so to speak, because of the force of personality of one individual, and that was Bruce Lee. But it was pretty much the first Hollywood martial arts movie. And in in the early 70s, that was a lot of people's introductions to martial arts. Just think about all the plethora of other uh, martial art magazines and TV sure. shows. Every character all of a sudden in um, whatever your favorite TV show, there had to be some <clears throat> some guy that knew karate who, you know, took a strange stance and held his hands in a weird way because he never, the actor never set foot in a, in a dojack, so he didn't know what the hell he was doing. <laughs> <laughs> But they were all there, and Hollywood didn't mind. You know, Hollywood is really a cowardly industry. They're not going to do anything that really doesn't make money. And right. the Dragon made a lot of money, so they jumped all on it. They got all these kung fu guys and karate guys, put them in these various movies, and then put it in TV shows, and it kind of made the Hong Kong kung fu martial arts industry into an actual genre that Hollywood could say, you know what, we can make a buck off of this. Interesting. Yeah. That is very interesting. And and I think that for, for um, you know, again, for people of, of my age, while you would have seen a, a, a lot of things that, you know, people will talk about other Bruce Lee movies, but most of, most people saw those movies, you know, Broadly, after Enter the Dragon, mm-hmm. despite when they came out, because of right. the fact that wow, they you know you couldn't get more Bruce Lee, obviously, but right. they wanted to be able to to immerse themselves in, uh, in 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 Bruce Lee, so they became familiar with all of these in one reconstituted form or another um, mm-hmm. after seeing uh, Enter the Dragon, and right. uh, I, I I certainly remember um, I'm old enough to have seen it you know in the theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
And uh, I remember the, the reaction. I certainly also remember walking out of it and having uh, almost every single one of the younger people that were walking out uh, trying to duplicate the Bruce Lee sound. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and and uh, being dumb enough, I'm, we, we did this. Um, we went back, took our mom's broomsticks, cut them, in, cut them up, got our dog's chain, stuck the chain between the two pieces of broomstick and called ourselves <laughs> using nunchucks. Well, bopping yes. ourselves on the heads and the elbows and in our <laughs> private parts and throwing on the ground. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, there were there were many uh many a, a person who uh got in, got in trouble at home for doing that kind of stuff and who knocked themselves uh silly uh with their home with their homemade nunchucks. So that's that yeah. is for sure. Yeah. I so, remember the police at one point in New York, um, they, they they were outlawed, and, <laughs> and we were caught walking down the street. It seemed like they were parked right outside the theater, and, uh, and of course, you had about four or five of us coming out, you know, holding a nunchuck, starting to swing it and stuff like that. And here it comes, whoop, up, hey kids, get over here, <laughs> give me those things. It's very, it, it is very interesting because uh, we, we covered this um, several months ago, but in New York State, they just for the first time uh, overturned that, that ban. I mean, it's been banned all the way through. Yeah. And now the, uh, uh, a higher court judge has ruled that uh, there's no basis for it, and now they are. Uh, in fact, I had gone um, to purchase a new pair of uh, wooden insects and um, – you know, previously some of them said we'll not ship to New York, right. uh, and ma- many of them are actually sold out in terms of uh, fulfillment because the demand, probably in the last 90 days in New York for nunchucks again, is has gone way up. So wow, uh, okay, yeah, 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 very interesting. So, so which leads us into for this, for this installment, the number one martial arts uh, influential film, and and why? So tell us about that. All right, well. If Into the Dragon was number two, I've got to put The Big Boss, or as it was released here in the United States, Sister Fury as the number one most influential martial arts movie. Wow. Think about it. Tell us why. Tell us why. All right. Besides the fact that it made Bruce Lee a, you know, brought his name out. I mean, we've seen him in, you know, Into the Dragon. Not into the dragon, in uh, the Green Hornet, and you know Long Street, and Here Come the Brides, and things like that. He really, really exploded in Fist of Fury. He was a Nova, and in doing this movie, a lot of things changed. A lot changed. Yes, we had other stars and other actors that were doing things like Jimmy Wong Yu and. And other people like that. Timmy Wang Yu, in fact, I think was the number one, uh, one of the number, one of the top Hong Kong stars, doing things like Golden Swallow and uh, uh, Beach of the War Gods and other uh, um, movies like that. But when Bruce came out, no, because Bruce was an actual martial artist, and his choreography was very, very different from what you saw before. The camera work was very, very different from what you saw before. If you look at those movies before Fist of Fury, 
in an after Fist of Fury, it's like you're watching a Fred Astaire or Gene Kelly dance routine. Before Fred Astaire, because Fred Astaire is the one that told the directors, no, I'm dancing. Don't just get a close-up of my feet. Don't just get a close-up of my hands and my face. Let let the audience see top to bottom. Let them see feet to toes. Uh, excuse me, feet to head. Let them let them see the entire body so they can appreciate what the movements are. And in Fist of Fury, that's what you see. You see Bruce completely doing the technique. You see everything without a lot of close-ups like you used to see before. That is very interesting. That, that is interesting, and, and, and I was unaware of that, and that makes a lot of sense in terms of, you know, again, I think one of the things is is in terms of the way that people watch um, things today is that um, it's easy to take for granted these things, but, but there were certain watershed moments mm-hmm. um, along the way that opened the door for um, for, for these things to, to, to happen. So, um, you know, on, on that basis and criteria, I think it's a – it's such an interesting um, and thoughtful list you put together, um, and, and I thank you for that. Now, I wanted to ask you one of the things we didn't we didn't talk about, but you know, you and I have a tendency to go back and forth a little bit to talk a little bit. But I wanted to get your sense in the final minutes as to the current state of martial arts films um, generally. Do you feel that you know because we're we're at a time where there is um, there's so much uh, medium right now um, and uh, there's a lot of crossover. I notice in in in, in, um, in the, the the genres, so that you'll see martial arts stars in action films and and action stars in in martial arts films. What do you take as the current state of um, martial arts in movies and television? Is it in a good place? Is it in a bad place? Is it trending up? Is it trending down? Do you have any thoughts on it in, in general? In general, I say everything is in flux because basically Hollywood is still scrambling and running and trying to figure out what to do. Overall, media, the medium is changing. I mean, we're going from uh, um, going to the movies where you had to see, you know, all these different projects and different movies, you know, going to the theater, and now you can see it at home. You can you can you can watch it at home. Your screen is bigger. You don't have to watch it on a you know sixteen inch sure. screen anymore. You have fifty inch screens. You know, yeah, it's not as big as a ten by ten uh, movie screen, but still, it's pretty daggone big. So, you know, streaming and everything else uh, um, is making things a lot more open. And Hollywood is trying to figure out what the hell do they do, and they're scrambling around. And what you see is a lot of the American projects or quote-unquote Hollywood projects are more like just cobbled together. And you, But you also have the opportunity to look at there's a lot of projects coming from Korea where the there was a whole generation of directors who were in South Korea that went to school at UCLA, NYU, et cetera, and so forth, that learned, quote-unquote, Hollywood filmmaking techniques, brought that back to Korea, and are making some really interesting and and good-looking movies, and sometimes bringing in American actors. Or now Hollywood is thinking about, hey, maybe let's get 
this actor to come in and do uh, uh, this movie. I'm curious to see what they're going to do, what Marvel and Disney are going to do with uh, Shang-Chi, Master of Kung Fu, which was a comic book that was out in the 70s. And now they're going to do it, you know, they're supposed to do a movie. I think they blew the pooch with Iron Fist. I think that was horrible. <laughs> it is one of the biggest one of the biggest criticisms of it. Although I believe it was probably more so in the first season. Perhaps they did some training for the second season, more so in the first season than in the second season. But the mm-hmm. fact that people felt that the fighting in it was not um, was not realistic and was not um, as uh, you know, it, 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 it was a disappointment uh, based based upon what you know. The foundations upon which it was based. So it will oh, be yeah. interesting to see to see if um, if there's any uh, thought process in, into uh, inside. That was one of the things that I had said to you. We we we, we probably slightly disagreed on the um, on the Revenger on Revenger. And mm-hmm. but one of the things that I think we probably will both agree on is that the the quality of the fighting in it was, was good, and the oh, choreography was was, the choreography was good. Was it very it good. was uh, it was very. Um, you know, it, it, visually, I mean, it, it it did again a lot of that. Um, it wasn't as fanciful. It had a lot more uh, uh, brass knuckle, uh, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. uh, raw, raw fighting, which I which I really appreciated. But again, it comes out of that South Korean, as you're talking about that South Korean filmmaking mm-hmm. martial arts group. So right, and then you look at how they framed the cameras. What? How did the cameras pick up the fight? You know, to the, the people that like. I, I get questions from a lot of, I hate to say it like this because it makes me sound old, I get a lot of kids that come up and they have their you know, their cameras at their classes or at home or whatever, and they want to do these great fight scenes. And I look at them like, no, you got to move the camera. Right. The camera's got to pick it up. Think of a fight scene. I know it might be insulting to some people, but think of the fight scene as you're capturing a good dance routine. If you don't do that, the fight's going to suffer. It's just going to look like a bunch of chopped up, you know, hodgepodge. And and um, that's what's happening uh, in a lot of the movies. But it's also at the same time, like looking at the product coming out of Korea, even some of the stuff that's coming out of China now, their longer takes, the, 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 the scenes, the choreography, it may be a little bit more fanciful and not as gritty, but it's interesting to watch. You know, um, which I think is a whole point of why you're making the movie. Are you going to grab an audience to sit down and watch and go, oh, yeah, I like this. Let me see what else these guys do so I'll spend more money. Right, right. Very interesting. Well, I, Grandmaster uh, Griffin, I could I could speak to you all day about this, and I and I appreciate your your time. Uh, you and and, and, and uh, what we will do is certainly we will uh, – folks can, can uh, find your previous – uh, articles in our um, in our magazine, and uh, tell us where in the final seconds where we uh, they can find other information about you. Your um, and we'll link all as well as all of these uh, these movies that you've referenced. We'll link those in the um, in the, the the article that accompanies the uh, the podcast. Tell us uh, where they can find some of your videos and some of your um, some of your postings on on social media and uh, YouTube. I appreciate this. Uh, um, I have a uh, we have two shows um, that we that I put up. We are working out here in Ohio and North Kentucky, so I have uh, the shows on local TV out here. 
because um, I'm working actually. I work at the TV station, so I can put them on. But uh, um, they uh, they can find me on the Warriors Realm TV or from the Dojang, and they're both YouTube channels. Wonderful. And on social me and on social media, they can find you under. Very good. Very good. And we will, uh, we we will post all of those links and uh, we will look forward to uh, you keeping us apprised of uh, what's happening both in the future of martial arts, film and television and the past. So we, uh, we we enjoy that. And thank you. And, and, and uh, uh, we look forward to speaking to you soon, sir. Thank Thank you, sir. Okay. Now. Thank you for listening to believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.